Support for the Legislative Gazette comes from New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals standing with more than 600,000 workers in education, human services, and health care with the Our Voice, Our Values, Our Union campaign. And United University Professions, representing 37,000 academic and professional employees at SUNY campuses and teaching hospitals across New York State. Frederick E. Cole, President, UUPinfo.org. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, for the first time publicly, addressed sexual harassment accusations this week on Wednesday, saying he did not intend to make anyone uncomfortable and that he's truly sorry. Many are calling for his resignation, including some fellow Democrats, but the governor says he's not leaving. The Legislative Gazette's Karen DeWitt reports. At times welling with emotion, Cuomo looked into the camera and offered an apology to all New Yorkers and to the women who say he harassed them. I now understand that I acted in a way that made people feel uncomfortable. It was unintentional, and I truly and deeply apologize for it. I feel awful about it, and frankly, I am embarrassed by it. And that's not easy to say, but that's the truth. Cuomo says he never touched anyone inappropriately. He says he's learned from the experience and promises that he will be the better for it. Two former aides, Lindsay Boylan and Charlotte Bennett, say the governor engaged in a range of inappropriate behaviors, including touching, an unsolicited kiss, intrusive questions about dating habits, and whether sleeping with an older man would be an option, as well as an invitation to play strip poker. The apology did not differ substantially from the one Cuomo issued in a statement on Sunday evening, one that Bennett has already said she does not accept, saying the governor is not taking full responsibility for predatory behavior. A third woman, Anna Rook, produced a photo that showed the governor, who she did not know, holding her face in his hands at a wedding. She says he then asked if he could kiss her. Cuomo says hugging and kissing women and men as a form of greeting is a custom he learned from his father, former New York Governor Mario Cuomo, but he says he now understands it is no longer acceptable. I could intend no offense, but if they were offended by it, then it was wrong. State Attorney General Letitia James is conducting an investigation with subpoena powers. Cuomo, after some initial resistance, agreed to the probe and says he and his office will cooperate fully. He asked everyone to withhold judgment until the AG's report is completed. I ask the people of this state to wait for the facts from the Attorney General's report before forming an opinion. A growing number of elected officials have called on Cuomo to resign, but the governor says he doesn't plan to. He says there's too much to do right now, and he needs to stay at his job. I'm not going to resign. Uh, I work for the people of the state of New York. They elected me, and I'm going to serve the people of the state of New York. And by the way, we have a full plate. We have COVID. We have recovery. We have rebuilding. We have a teetering New York City. We have a terrible financial picture. We have to do vaccines. 
so no. Cuomo also faces a federal investigation over his office's handling of nursing home policies during the pandemic. Legislative leaders, increasingly discontent with Cuomo's behavior, announced agreement Tuesday to strip the governor of the emergency powers they granted to him during the pandemic. In the future, all major directives that concern things like opening and closing businesses and requiring the wearing of masks will have to be done in consultation with the Senate and the Assembly. The governor says he agrees to the new restrictions and will abide by them. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. On Monday this week, New York State Attorney General Letitia James received the necessary referral letter from the executive chamber to independently investigate allegations of sexual harassment against Governor Andrew Cuomo. The Legislative Gazette's Allison Dunn reports on what lawmakers in the Hudson Valley think should happen next. One of the women who accused Cuomo is former aide Charlotte Bennett. Westchester Democratic State Senator Shelley Mayer says Bennett resides in her 37th district. I, I'm very, very uh, distressed and disappointed to hear of these allegations, and that's why I believed and continue to believe a thorough investigation by an truly independent agency is so critical. Uh, and, and I will await the results of that investigation at this point. Mayor, who served as Assistant State Attorney General for 12 years in the office of former Attorney General Robert Abrams, says she is pleased that Attorney General James will conduct an independent investigation with full subpoena powers. Republican Dutchess County Executive Mark Molinaro ran against Cuomo in 2018 and is considering another gubernatorial run. The governor needs to resign. And, and we need to remember that this, this, uh, these women coming forward uh, were victimized. He all but acknowledges it, and that isn't the only crisis of confidence and competence that we have faced these last eight years. Cuomo released a tempered apology statement that was immediately criticized Sunday, the last time the public has heard from him on the matter. Democratic Assemblyman Kevin Cahill's 103rd district represents a large part of Ulster County and a slice of Duchess. I expect the attorney general to move forward aggressively objectively and quickly in her investigation, and uh, that will result in recommendations, and we can take it from there. In the meantime, uh, we're trying to pass a budget, and we're trying to do other things to get us out of the COVID situation, and no one knows more than the governor um, that this requires focus, and it's up to him to determine if if his personal attention is being diverted too much to give uh, everything we have to do its due. Cahill says allegations concerning non-workplace behaviors, which so far is the case with one of the three women accusing the governor, could show a pattern of behavior. I think what we what we are experiencing with Governor Cuomo in the public sphere right now, that is in the press and in revelations by, uh, by victims, and I won't call them alleged victims because the governor has fairly acknowledged many of these activities, I think it really evinces an attitude and a behavior that many of us in the legislature have known about for years. He's a bully, and he's a bully under any set of circumstances. Democratic State Senator Pete Harcum, who once worked in the Cuomo administration, says calls for resignation are hasty. You know, their serious allegations are troubling, but I, I think that's premature. We've just called for an investigation. Uh, I have I have all confidence in the attorney general that it'll be swift, it'll be thorough, it'll be impartial. Um, but we should hold off judgment on the resignation or other action uh, until that until that investigation is complete. Again, Molinaro. 
New Yorkers need to uh, close the chapter on this administration and, in, in you know, a strange irony, uh, allow uh, the first woman uh, to serve as governor of the state of New York. He refers to Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul. Republican first-term state senator Mike Martucci of the 42nd District also is calling for Cuomo to resign. The investigation's findings will be disclosed in a public report. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Allison Dunn. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Joining us now, Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Shartok. Alan, Governor Andrew Cuomo held his first briefing in nine days on Wednesday, the first time he publicly addressed sexual accusations against him, saying that he's truly sorry. He choked up as he was apologizing. Many are calling for his resignation, but the governor said he will not resign. He said he was elected by the people of the state of New York, not politicians. Your thoughts on the statement yesterday? Well, I thought it was effective. Look, Andrew Cuomo's biggest problem is Andrew Cuomo. His worldview, his Weltanschauung, has been from the very beginning Andrew Tough Guy. He thought that that was the way that it worked. What happened, of course, is that so many people felt that they had been run over. People like the Speaker of the Assembly, Carl Hastie, and his counterpart in the Senate. The Majority Leader, Andrea Stewart-Cousins, turned on the governor. Look, if you're going to treat people badly, they are going to wait for their opportunity, and then they're going to take it. I don't find that attractive any more than Cuomo's running roughshod over them. Nevertheless, this is an opportunity, and they're turning on him. And he is now showing that there is a side of him which people can recognize as being sorry. On the other hand, David, a lot of women have been kissed in their lives. A lot of women have kissed men in their lives. There is a way in which this thing may be getting a little crazy. Do I think that Cuomo should be off the hook? Should he be propositioning people vaguely or not vaguely? No, he shouldn't. He's the governor of the state of New York. He has daughters. He knows what's at stake. Nevertheless, the idea that he would resign, frankly, I hope he doesn't. I don't get along with Andrew that well, to be honest with you. For a while, he was coming on WAMC, and we would have these conversations. But then he stopped doing that. I don't know why. I have reason not to like him at this stage of the game. And if you look at my record, while he was governor for eight years, I was very critical of the guy. You could look it up very critical for eight years. And he reminded me of that every time we spoke. So let me just say, I just think he's the governor. He was elected. You know, the idea that his political enemies would turn on him and insist that he either be impeached or be removed or that he remove himself. I just think it's ludicrous. Now he's got some rebuilding to do, and you've got Republicans chomping at the bit to get back in some statewide office. They'd love the governor's office. The only problem they have is who's going to do it. Now, we do know that George Pataki, who was a who, W-H-O hyphen he, question mark, at the time, beat Cuomo. Of course, it was a Republican year across the United States, and it wasn't that great a margin. 
Nevertheless, he beat him, and then he stayed in office for three terms. So that could happen again. However, the people who are putting themselves up right now, some of them being Trumpers and, you know, having very poor credentials in blue state New York, I think have almost no chance of beating him in an election. Here's what I expect. I think that Cuomo will run, and I think he's got every chance that he will win because, you know, it's still very early. You know, you may have a year or so to go, but in politics, that's an immense amount of time. And I do think that there's a, a backlash growing here in which people are trying to deal with what their true feelings are about the fairness of the situation. Doesn't he also face that backlash from the progressives or, the, you know, the fight from the progressives? And, you know, in primary, you tend to have to go toward the left. Well, let me put it this way. You're right. He does have a problem with his progressive coalition in New York State. But when you start thinking about AOC, for example, Cortez running against Cuomo, I don't think she's going to win. And I don't think she's going to do it. Now, if her polling shows she can do it, maybe she will. But we have seen what has happened in primaries before. And this is a different year, of course, with a different set of circumstances. But, you know, Cuomo is a known commodity. We'll see. It's interesting that now there's been some focus on the lieutenant governor, Kathy Hochul. Now, the governor says he's not going to resign, but of course there were questions about whether he would be impeached by the legislature, and then everybody's eyes turned to who's next. Well, that's right. Kathy Hochul was chosen, of course, because she balanced the ticket. She was from the Niagara area. She was a woman, balanced Cuomo. She hasn't done anything that would indicate up to now that she would be anything but loyal to Cuomo. She could take over. She could become the governor if circumstances ended up that way. We have seen that with the way David Patterson got into his office, but it didn't last. And along came strongman Cuomo, and he won. So I'm thinking that, yes, Hochul would have a shot if she was picked. But usually when you are a Democrat in New York State, you are going to win if you come from the five boroughs of New York City. And I can't think of many exceptions to that rule. Being in a weakened state politically now, won't negotiations over the budget be interesting? I mean, will he be pulled over the line with a tax hike? He may be. Look, he is a smart guy, and he recognizes that circumstances change. And if the way you save yourself is to give a little bit more than you would have ordinarily, maybe that's what you have to do. Now, remember that the reason he's in such a precarious state right now is that people in the legislature and others, Democrats, are so angry at being run over that they could turn on him quite easily, and he knows it. So what are we to expect except that he will be in a weakened position when it comes to negotiations? Well, I meant to ask you this last week, and I didn't get to it. E.J. McMahon, you spoke to a few weeks ago from the Empire Center, which is a think tank that looks at the financial situation of New York State, fairly conservative. During his conversation with you, he went on to praise Democrat state controller Tom DiNapoli and words to the effect that not only has DiNapoli been on time with his audits and his analysis, but he's been, according to E.J. McMahon, that accurate and the implication he's he's been the fairest of all. Look, Tom DiNapoli is an honest fellow. I think he's the top guy in state government. I think he's wonderful. Frankly, the idea that he would take on the governor is an interesting one because he has developed a reputation as being a competent, decent fellow. But does that does that bring him the kind of glamour 
that a political candidate needs. I don't know. I would love to see him run for governor. Love it. And he would be an excellent governor. But, you know, he'd have to want to do it. He's an excellent controller. He's always liked that job. I think he continues in that job if he wants to. But if he runs for governor, um, he'll be a formidable candidate. Legislative Gazette political observer Alan Chartoff. listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York State government and politics. I'm David Gustina. Last June, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo signed an executive order that required all local governments and stakeholders to review their police departments and develop a plan to improve operations. The plan must be adopted by April 1st and filed with the state. The village of Saranac Lake is holding public hearings on its proposed police reform plan as it prepares to finalize the document. The Legislative Gazette's Pat Bradley with more. Among the highest priorities listed in the Saranac Lake Police Reform Committee's draft police reform plan are addressing use of force policies, de-escalation training and practices, implicit bias awareness training, and community-based outreach and conflict resolution. During a recent public hearing on the plan, Police Chief James Joyce explained the policies are based on a template from public safety consultant Lexapol that has been edited for applicability to the village. We are going to end up with policies that I think are extremely reasonable and uh, in some cases very progressive policies that we did not have that we are going to now have a policy on the homeless. There's a First Amendment assembly, anti-retaliation, bias-based policing. The list goes on. Chief Joyce was asked how evidence-based strategies are addressed in the report. Hi, this is Colleen. I'm just wondering which evidence-based strategies um, are being used in this draft report. It's a very broad category and we gave a higher priority to de-escalation training and practices, procedural justice, implicit bias awareness training, community-based outreach and conflict resolution, and then law enforcement assisted diversion programs. Those are the evidence-based strategies. And I guess what evidence-based refers to is that the success or failure of them is um, those, those are measurable criteria. Saranac Lake resident Colleen Farmer was also concerned about the bias training outlined in the plan. Like the Adirondack diversity, how is it that they are qualified to do this? I mean, they appear to be more environmentally involved. 
Police Reform Committee member Chris Morris, a core team member at the Adirondack Diversity Initiative, responded. The Adirondack Diversity Initiative funding comes from the state of New York. We have just signed a contract with Rens Consulting, which is a nationally renowned law enforcement training and consulting firm led by uh, former law enforcement and current law enforcement. Chief Joyce uh, did have a chance to meet with that team, and that's what we're offering to bring to the table via the Adirondack Diversity Initiative. Committee Chair Melinda Little added, Just to be clear, the groups or potential sources of training that are listed in the report, all of them have different strengths and would be used for different sorts of trainings. There was extended discussion over a proposed interface committee following a query by resident Zohar Gitlis. What I kind of heard was that this interface committee would just be sort of like promoting understanding between the community and the police department. And it seems like that's like a PR position. I'm wondering if like implementing and working towards change would be within the purview of this body. Morris noted that anyone can make recommendations to the village board, but some people are uncomfortable with the process. I think this committee has the potential to play a really important role. We have advisory boards for arts and culture and downtown businesses and things like that. So I think um, having something for police and public safety is, is important. I do think that the potential does exist to make recommendations or suggestions or even just comment or ask questions on policy going forward. I view that as the role of this committee. A second virtual hearing on Saranac Lake's police reform plan is scheduled for Thursday, March 4th at 7 p.m. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm Pat Bradley. You are listening to the Legislative Gazette, a program about New York state government and politics. I'm David Gustina. The University at Albany is partnering with Excellencia in Education for the release of its new report on 25 years of Hispanics serving institutions. The analysis, which the organization released at UAlbany, aims to inform lawmakers and school administrators how best to serve Latino and Latina students in higher education. UAlbany President Javidan Rodriguez spoke with the Legislative Gazette's Jesse King about the report. A Hispanic-serving institution is a federally designated uh, institution which has an enrollment of about 25% or more uh, of Latino, Latina, Hispanic students. Roughly speaking, uh, today about 15% of our students are classified as Latino or Latina uh, about 17.6% uh, of our undergraduate students are fall in that classification, uh, and about 8.4% of our graduate students uh, fall under the classification of Latino, Latina, uh, Hispanic. Uh, and so we are considered an emerging uh, Hispanic-serving institution. But I think it's important to highlight that in addition to the numbers, which are critically important, uh, the most important thing is the commitment uh, of the institution, regardless of those numbers, 
uh, to foster diversity, equity, and inclusion, and to really expand uh, the services that it provides to our students and ensuring student success. Looking at this analysis that Excellencia in Education is putting out, what are some of the findings of this report? How have HSIs changed in the last 25 years? Well, there's been significant changes. Uh, First, there's a demographic factor. Uh, As you know, the Latino, Latina, Hispanic population across the United States has continued to grow. It is the largest minority uh, group in the United States today. And their numbers in terms of higher education have also continued to increase quite significantly throughout the years. Of course, this past year, as a consequence of COVID, we've seen generally a decline uh, in student applications and the number of students in institutions of higher education, Uh, but this factor has been exacerbated uh, for students of color like Blacks and uh, Latino, Latina students, because as you know, COVID-19 has disproportionately impacted uh, communities of color, and we also see that that's having impact on their enrollment uh, in terms of institutions of higher education. But that said, if you take a look at the pattern in the past 25 years, you see increasing enrollment of Latinos, Latinas in institutions of higher education you see increasing retention and increasing graduation rates. So there is greater success, not only access, but student success as well. Now, we've focused a lot of stories on diversity and inclusion, particularly at college campuses. One thing some Black students at other colleges have told our reporters is that they sometimes feel they are used as a diversity prop. How do you navigate creating these programs for minority students without making them feel othered? That is a critical part of, of the conversation, right? This is not only about words. We also want to make sure that we address the issues and the challenges that these students are confronting. For example, COVID-19 has disproportionately impacted communities of color in the state of New York. Well, given that we have close to 40% of our students that are underrepresented uh, minority students or students of color, they have also been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19, which means you, Albany, has suffered those consequences as well. This is one of the critical reasons why we at the university are leading a research project, which we were asked to do by New York State and and Governor Cuomo, to study the disproportionate impacts of COVID-19 on communities of color, right? That is our background. That is our expertise. We have major strengths there. So again, it's not only about the numbers. It's about the actions. It's about intentionality and what are the outcomes and the results of what we're doing here at the institution. What is the status of your study on COVID in communities of color? We anticipate that within a month or so that report should be uh, in the governor's office. But, you know, the thing about uh, this research is that uh, a number of research projects, other research projects have emerged. We have faculty who are writing research proposals to be uh, submitted to the National Science Foundation and others. So while we will submit a final report uh, to New York State, this does not have an end date for us. That's UAlbany President Javidan Rodriguez speaking with the Legislative Gazette's Jesse King. And that about does it for this week's show. We had help from the New York State Public Radio Network. For copies, call 1-800-323-9262. That's 1-800-323-9262. Ask for program number 2110 or just listen or podcast on the web at wamc.org. And join us again next week at this same time for more news on New York state government and politics. For the Legislative Gazette, I'm David Gustina. 